Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join John Stumbo as he begins. I'm happy to let you know that the prayer room called the Upper Room is actively functioning now with dozens of people a day finding their way up there to have a place of refuge and time alone with God. If uh, you haven't found that place yet as a tool for you to use, as uh, we invite you to come on up. It's open seven days a week. Uh, hours are posted online, and love to have you take advantage of that resource that's for you. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Today we're talking Psalm 23. I appreciated Laura opening the service by having us read it together. Let me tell you why I've chosen this text. This isn't part of a series, but... It's part of an ongoing conversation that God's having with my heart. Steve starts a new series next week, and that'll be good. But today, let me tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. I've always been bothered by those who live with a victim mentality. I'm sorry something bad happened. I'm sure it was horrendous. But are we going to let our whole lives be defined by it? Do we really want to live seeing ourselves as victims? Is that producing health and hope? Is there healing in that? Two years ago today, I was a life-loving, long-distance running, healthy 47-year-old who never had a reason to see himself as a victim of anything. Life had been pretty straightforward for me. But on October 18th, 2008, it was a gorgeous weekend here in Salem. I went for a leisurely jog Saturday morning with some friends, 10-mile run, and sat in the sun that afternoon, preached the five services over the weekend, led a congregational meeting like we're having this afternoon where we were finally moving forward with the Broadway project after talking about it forever. And... and uh, I went home and told my wife I thought I might be getting the flu. I had a little rash. I blamed that on her, that she must have changed the laundry detergent or something. So it had to be her fault. And little did I know that my life, my body was spiraling downward rapidly. And as many of you walked with me on this journey, and I thank you for it, I spent most of November, all of December, and much of January in the hospital, 77 days in all, as five times Joanna was brought back into the room because I might not make it. You gathered as a congregation to pray for me one night because I might not make it through the night, and, uh, and thank you for standing with me. And I rejoice in, in the healing that has been given. I, in, in answer to your prayers, I've come a long way. I still have the feeding tube, but uh, I'm eating better and better, swallowing more effectively all the time, so that's becoming less of a need. I still have significant muscle issues, but I walk and drive freely now. I still need help with a few daily necessities, but for the most part, I'm living independently, so, so I've come a long way by the grace of God. But I confess that in spite of the progress... A victim mentality tries to take hold of my thinking. I'm not immune to its attacks. 
It's easy for me to feel like a robber entered my life and carried off things that I cherish. It's hard to not allow my losses to define me. I've been robbed, so it feels. Robbed of my good health. Robbed of my leadership position. Robbed of my sense of financial security. Robbed of a sense of confidence. Robbed of my passions and hobbies and pleasures. Robbed of a relationship with a dear family member. And on that list goes. A thief crawled in the window. Thoroughly looted my life. And now I'm left a shell of what I once was. That that's the temptation I face to, to take the victim role, to live under the metaphor of being robbed. I'll confess that when I give in to that mentality, it doesn't take me good places. <laughs> it's not wise or healthy. It doesn't lead to healing. But I go there sometimes. Maybe you do too. The other metaphor that tries to sneak in is that I somehow ended up in the scratch and dent section of God's showroom. I've been cast aside with a clearance sale tag slapped on me. You wouldn't want me in your nice kitchen, but maybe if you got a you know a shack up there in the mountains, maybe. But that's not a real helpful metaphor either, you know. As comforting as it might feel to lick our wounds, the victim mentality does not lead to a place of healing. I didn't get to choose the circumstances I'm in. I but I do get to choose how I'll respond to them. And in that, you and I are very much the same. You don't have control over all the circumstances that, that happen in your life, but you do choose how you will respond. What I want to give to you today in this message is my best shot at a biblical approach <laughs> for a life view. From a guy who could have easily taken the victim mentality, David, the author of the psalm, was chased all across the countryside by a spear-wielding crazy man and his entire army. David lived in caves and, and ran across the desert and through the forest for his life, feigned a madman in a foreign country just to save his skin. I mean, this guy... Didn't exactly have it easy, but here's a life view that he chose to have, to sing, to record. <laughs> and God saved it for us to read at moments like this. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Now there's a better metaphor already. That'll upstage the scratch and dent one in a hurry. The Lord is my shepherd. To view life as being led. And so, point one today, he guides us through life. As you lead, as you think about these verses, I want you to think about the different life circumstances that these represent. He guides us through all types of circumstances. 
Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I like that situation. Those circumstances are sweet. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Okay, that's good. A whole lot better than the paths I choose for myself. Paths of unrighteousness, of self-destruction, of stupidity. His paths are a whole lot better. Okay, lead on, please. Verse 4. Well, then we take a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But even there, I'll fear no evil for, guess what? I'm not alone. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've testified to you before. I'll do it again today. It's a cool thing to be on your deathbed as I was at OHSU and for death to be the least of my worries. That is a great place to find ourselves as followers of a living and resurrected Christ. I I replayed it over and over in my head in my state of being completely unable to move, attached to all these machines, being told I might not make it. I replayed it over and over in my head. What's the worst that can happen? I'll die and go and be with Jesus. Okay, that'll be all right. I'd slip back in again. What's the worst that can happen? I'll die and be with Jesus. Okay, I can do this. (laughs) This is a good place. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I'm not sure we why we need to hang out long enough to eat in the presence of the people that don't like me and I don't like so well either, or the circumstances that, that seem to be attacking us. Well, why do you need to set up a whole table and get out to China and cook a meal, Lord? What? Can, can I just have this to go? How about a little drive-through for this one, huh? You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. What a perspective. And then guess what? Take this, Satan. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He guides us through all kinds of circumstances of life. Abundance and renewal, restoration and rest, challenge and danger from the lowest pit to the highest heaven. He's God for a lifetime. He's God for all seasons. He is a good shepherd. Do you hear God saying, I am your shepherd. I will take care of you. I know difficult times come. I know I might send you to difficult places or circumstances, but you're still under my protection. He guides us through life. We are under his care. Number two, he guides us for his glory. I see it in verse three that he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's about his honor. When my daughter was 10, she was reading a book about the missionaries in Ecuador that were martyred. You don't know that when you start the book. The book was called The Yellow Would Be. 
it's taken from the perspective of Ecuadorian kids in the jungle looking up at this thing flying overhead and not knowing what it was back there decades ago. And so they called it a yellow wooden bee, hence the name of the book. The next chapter is from the vantage point of the missionaries trying to get in contact with these unreached and unreachable people. And back and forth the chapters go. Halfway through the book, my daughter asked me, does this have a good ending, Dad? <laughs> she was getting a little nervous. And, and I said, well, what do you say? You know, the guys die, but then years later, some of the widows go back with the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And, and the, many of the people, the murderers, become Christ followers, and there's reconciliation. And so... Honey, you'll just have to read the book for yourself. I was sitting next to her on the couch when she closed the last page. Tears started to stream down her precious little face. I said, Anna, sometimes we cry because we're sad. You know about those kind of tears. Sometimes we cry because we're so happy. It just leaks out of our eyes. But... There's a third kind of tears. That's when we're moved. When something just stirred up within us. Is, is that what you're feeling right now? She nodded her little head. Yes, tears still streaming down. I waited for a few moments and I said, Anna, can you tell me what you're feeling? Can you explain at all what's going on in your heart? And in four words, my daughter summarized human existence better than any seminary class I ever went to. After thinking about that story, the message in her heart was, we're here for him. We're here for him. What a profound truth, Anna. And so it is, my friend. If you think the story you're writing is about you, I've got good news. You're part of a much bigger story. His. And you may be like me, not really liking the chapter you're in right now. It's all right, because the story's not about us. He guides us for his glory. We're here for him. Number three, we're... He guides us in person. Verse 4, you see it, that you are with me. David understood the omnipresence of God, that God was with him at every moment. And this is even before the New Testament dawn. So we get Acts chapter 2, and we find out that the Spirit has given us to live within us, and that we become these carriers of the Spirit of God himself. And we find out from Second Peter chapter 1 that He's given us everything we need for life and godliness and his divine attributes are available for us. What an amazing thing that we have. We're not alone. We, he guides us personally with his presence. Some of you have heard me tell the story of when we were in seminary and we had six or eight weeks to decide what church we were going to choose as our church home. The school had a rule. They didn't want you church hopping your whole your whole semester, they wanted you to tie down a local church. So I thought this was cool from the reverse end. For, for six or eight weeks, Joanne and I got to be church hoppers. I mean, some of you have made a profession out of this, but, but for Joanne and I, this was kind of new because 
because uh, our daddies were pastors, and so we always had to go to church where they preached, so we didn't church hop. But now we had six or eight weeks to explore the Christian world, and so we did, and Sunday morning and Sunday night sometimes. I was in the phone book saying, I never heard of that denomination. Let's go there, honey. And so off we went. One day we got to this church, and the pastor greeted us at the door and didn't he was one of those kind of guys that spoke more than he listened, and and he heard our name as symbol, like loud clanging symbols, and and so for all morning we were brother and Mrs. Symbol are with us from the seminary today, and that's just who we were for the morning. By the time we got to church, he announced us to the whole congregation. We were sitting two rows in the back in the center section. And he pointed us out, Brother and Mrs. Symbol are with us from the seminary today, and, and he's going to start leading our youth ministry here at the church. Well, he hadn't talked to me about that, but I figured I was fairly safe and that there wasn't anybody under 60 within range that I could see. So, <laughs> so we were having revival meetings at the church that week. I didn't realize it, that a guest speaker had been brought in because we were having revival meetings. And... The speaker spoke, and when the sermon was done, Joanna's given me the wifely elbow. It's time to leave. Let's get out of here. No way. I want to see where this train was heading. I didn't know it was heading all the way to the front because the pastor said, Now, if you want revival in your life, you come on down to the front. We'll pray for revival. So the entire congregation, with the exception of two ladies sitting in about the third or fourth row, I don't think they'd move since the church had been built. I think they were just... <laughs> planted right there. The pastor looked right past him. He didn't worry about them, but the entire congregation, except those ladies and Joanne and I, were down in the front, and um, <clears throat> he looks at us and says, Brother Mrs. Symbol, don't you want revival in your life? <laughs> well, yeah, we want revival in our lives, so we make our way down to the front, and I'm getting a dagger look from my wife, you know. And like I told you, we could have been out of here already, but no. <laughs> so we get to the front, and the pastor says, Now, Brother Symbol, you pray the world revival in this church. So, okay, if I'm the new youth worker, I better pray for revival. <laughs> and so I prayed, and when I said amen, he said, and I quote, now, somebody invite Brother and Mrs. Symbol over to their house for hamburgers and weenies. <laughs> At which point, my wife ceased the elbow method and used the hand method and dragged me right out of that church. <laughs> we never went back. Poor pastor, still looking for his youth worker. Where are the symbols, you know? I've asked my, honestly, I've asked myself that question that he asked many times. Don't you want revival in your life? And I've come to an odd answer. If God would choose to bring revival to the churches of the United States, I would hope that I would be one of the pastors who would be an early adopter and lean in early on and not throw stones. But I don't believe, according to the New Testament, that we should live needing a revival. If he's already given us his presence, if he's already given us his spirit, if he's already given us everything we need for life and godliness, why do I need to be revived? Why shouldn't I just be vibed? 
You with me? He guides us in person. We're surrounded by his presence. Finally, number four, he guides us with his goodness. I'm stunned at David's life philosophy. You've heard the question asked, are you a glass half full kind of person? Are you a glass half empty kind of person? You've been asked that or heard that question anyway. David would say neither. I'm a cup overflowing kind of person. My glass isn't half empty or half anything. My cup's overflowing. Verse 5, he knew that he had put the cup of his life under the spigot of God's grace that doesn't shut off. You can't turn it off. The enemy can't switch it off. It just pours. It just flows. And that's where he was leaving his cup. That's was, that was his life perspective. And that led him to verse 6, where he says, Surely goodness and love, or some of your translations, goodness and mercy, will follow me all the days of my life. Amazing way to view life. Wherever I go, I got these traveling companions. I can't get rid of them. They're like lice, you know. They're just on me. I can't get rid of these things. Goodness and love, goodness and mercy, wherever I go, and chasing after me. That's beautiful. I confess that the way my mind thinks sometimes... You would swear that the verse says, Surely gloom and despair will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the customer service line forever. <laughs> you with me on this one? What's your paraphrase of the verse? Surely bad credit and bad hair days will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in a traffic jam and I am fine for all eternity. <laughs> we get to choose this stuff. We get to choose how we see life. And even though I'm not real good at it, I sure know the choice I want to make. I want to know the, I know the perspective I want to have. Sure is an improvement over the metaphors that I come up with on my own. I've been reading a book from a pastor from the 1600s from England, The Christian in Complete Armor. He writes, God deserves the best service you can give him in your generation, so start letting his divine attributes manifest themselves in your life now. He does not give you a limited supply of his grace to be meted out a little at a time. Do not be like so many and tuck it away in a savings account, which you intend to use someday, but not now. Surely God is not so miserly with his spirit that you must budget your graces. On the contrary, the eye of providence is never shut. He who keeps you does not slumber. The psalmist assures us, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. He guides us with his goodness. We are pursued, chased by his love. This author writes later in the book, every believer has Christ at his back. 
That's good. So there you have it. That's the life perspective that I want to take. And and it leads me to making a, a personal statement here at the end of this message. One proof of God's leading in my life was that he led us here. It was so obvious eight and a half years ago that God was calling us to, to this place. It's, it was his kindness to, to do so. He's, you, have, you have been gracious. He has been gracious. But we find ourselves in a rather odd situation. <laughs> Unfamiliar territory. Let me be specific. You know that due to my health issues, I stepped down from being lead pastor a year ago. And the church leadership was very kind to extend uh, an offer that I would stay on staff part-time in an associate role. It was good of them to do that. Now that my health is improving, Joanna and I believe it's time to take the next step. I've stepped down from leadership. Now it's time to step aside. A door has has opened up for us to be an interim pastor, to work full-time as a lead pastor, but for just a small window from Christmas to Easter, December to end of April. That's what we've committed to. It's a chance for me to test my capacity to see if my new level of health is able to handle that level of responsibility. So I'm seeing it as a no-lose situation. If it doesn't work, well, I didn't commit for very long. If it does work, great, everybody wins. But there's a church just outside of Tacoma. You take the Narrows Bridge over to Gig Harbor, you take another little bridge over to Fox Island, There's an Alliance church there that's only had one pastor in all their 27 years of existence. He's moved on under good terms to Seattle, but under Matt Moda's counsel, the church leadership there has decided that it'd be good to have an interim, somebody to fill in the gap for a while. Nothing like bringing in some new pastor after the guy's been there for half a lifetime and you try to fill his shoes. Good luck on that, so... So I'll be kind of the in-between temper temper things kind of guy. So we're going to give it a shot at Fox Island Alliance Church. We'll be here for six more weeks and then then move on. Um, people are asking me, are you excited? <laughs> well, my answer today is not yet. I, I will be, but... I've learned in the last two years that grief has to take its time. You don't rush grief, and I'm, I'm still in that mode for a little bit longer here. I've shed my share of tears. I've probably got a few more to shed. and So uh, it's hard to leave. It, it just is. But it helps to leave on good terms, and it helps to leave you in good hands. The God who has guarded and guided this congregation for over eight decades will continue to do so through the prayerful and wise leadership that's established among you. So, 
I've wanted to say this all weekend. You'll be fine. (laughs) So that's what I had to say. Thanks for being gracious people. Love you all. Bless you. I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for giving John and Joanna the gift of honor and standing up and recognizing his leadership in this place for so many years. Um, and uh, John and Joanna, you have been God's gift to us uh, here at Salem Alliance. And John, you have, you have led us well. And I, I find it a privilege to be considered your friend and to have been in the trenches with you and to, and to have just served with you, have learned a lot from you. And I want to say thank you for your leadership and uh, thank you for both of you for coming to Salem Alliance Church. We're a, a blessed people because of your leadership here. And uh, we know you're not leaving today. You've got six weeks here before you go, but uh, our hearts are with you. And as a church, we, uh, we recognize that the chief shepherd has given to us a, a good shepherd who has led us well. And uh, we are a better people because of the gifts that God has put in John and Joanna Stumbo and for their leadership of Salem Alliance Church in these last eight and a half years. And uh, God is, is good, and, and as God has been healing John, um, this has been an intense journey for him uh, and Joanna, and they have dealt with it day after day. And uh, the journey is also ours. We have, the last two years have been a strange journey for us. Um, but it's, it's our story. God is continuing to do a work. And, uh, uh, and we have celebrated all along the way with John and Joanna. And um, as he leaves, we, we know that the story of what God has done in this place will, will be deposited in other places. Yet our hearts are, are sad because a friend is leaving. But we, in times like this, are reminded, as John has done so well this morning, that we have a good shepherd. We have a chief shepherd. And he's all we need. So as we finish our time together and let the thoughts of all this absorb in, we turn our eyes to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And we place our trust in him again, for he is indeed good. Bless you, John. Thank you for this morning and for this message you've given to us. Let's worship our good God. You have been listening to John Stumbo, lead pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.